the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. Last week, we uh, started a new series uh, um, based on the newly published book called Homecoming, how the mystery of the new covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father. Um, I wrote this book. I thought I was going to write it in three weeks. turns out it was four and a half years. And uh, Father God was saying, you got some stuff to learn here, my friend, before you... <laughs> Put this all together, but um, it was an experience, to say the least. Anyway, last week, um, we talked about uh, what the goal of the Judeo-Christian um, journey was, and um, we concluded that um, the church in general, as a, as a whole— I'm talking about the Gentile church here, as uh, contrasting with Messianic Jewish uh, believers. Um, since we disconnected from our Hebrew roots, going way back to the um, first and second centuries and even into the third century, especially with Constantine, um, when he decided he was going to become a Christian, uh, unfortunately he also decided he was going to cut off himself and... Um, the so-called church, from uh, its Hebrew connections, its Hebrew roots, its Hebrew heritage, its Hebrew everything. And um, unfortunately, when that happened, uh, some things crept into the church that are influencing it right up to the present moment. And um, things such as Gnosticism. Um, Gnosticism was around even when uh, Peter and uh, and the Apostle John were writing their epistles, and they actually addressed some issues of Gnosticism, which was creeping uh, into the uh, gospel message way back when they were still active and alive. And um, unfortunately, this Gnostic gospel, which in essence uh, bases itself on Greek philosophy, Greek uh, religion, Greek thinking, uh, westernized linear uh, orientation, and especially um, plugging into the idea that uh, when Father God made or was finished having created everything in Genesis chapter 1 and uh, looking at Genesis 1 31, when he's resting and he's looking over everything he created, he declared that everything he created, including mankind and including the earth, the material creation, was very good. Um, Gnostic thinking is just the opposite. Gnostic thinking uh, basically says uh, um, they had these kind of second string or third string Greek gods called the Demurge, and they are the ones who created the material creation. That's 
um, how Gnostic thinking proceeds. And whatever defective gods create has to also, in itself, logically, be defective because it was created by defective gods. Well, they take the next step and they say, well, the Demurge created the earth. So the earth itself is defective. And that whole concept permeated, unfortunately, the early uh, Christian church to basically change the goal, the objective, the target of the Judeo-Christian journey. And unfortunately, um, it got us off to what the Bible, what the Scripture tells us is the whole reason that Father God created man, placed him here, um, basically giving him virtual unlimited authority to control, to govern, to care for, to steward, to have dominion over the material creation. And unfortunately, um, we know what happened uh, halfway through uh, Genesis chapter 3, when mankind basically um, handed over his authority to um, a rebellious angel and, um, in essence, walked away from his purpose. His purpose being, again, this is mentioned in Genesis uh, chapter 1, he was to take on the likeness of God and then image that likeness out horizontally to mankind. And the Gnostics are very um, very much convinced that the material world was not very good as declared by Father God in Genesis one twenty six. And they're saying that the material creation, because of being created by defective Greek gods, um, is evil. So if this line of thought creeps into, uh, we see it even in, like I said, into the first, uh, well, the epistles of both Peter and John, addressing this whole thing about uh, how Gnosticism was denying that the Messiah came in a human body. They're saying that can't be because anything of the material creation, including human bodies, are evil. So how could, how could a divine being such as Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, which is his name in Hebrew, how could he uh, be um, divine and human at the same time? And uh, so things devolved uh, over time, and basically the goal of the church became relocational. In other words, to go and get out of earth as quickly as you can, um, and out of the, the, they believed that they were trapped in this human body, and the idea is to get out of this prison of the human body, it also being defective because it's part of the material creation, um, and get up into the ethos, get into the ethereal world, get into the heavenlies. And so what happened was, over time, this, this travel, this transfer, transportation idea of going from point A to point B crept into the earlier, early Christian church, and um, the goal of Yeshua, HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, coming to restore a heavenly government back to a taken over by fallen angels, earth, um, became distorted and warped and perverted. And uh, I think the challenge today for us is to go back to the Scripture and really study why do we believe the things we believe? Um, are they just because this is what we grew up in and we never really 
um, went back and studied context, um, the Hebrew story being Hebrew, the covenants being made with Jewish patriarchs. Are we okay with that? With the fact that Jesus was Jewish, are we okay with that as Gentiles? Uh, the fact that um, these Hebrew covenants have a relevance and they're significant in our walk as Gentiles. And uh, so much of this separation between the two testaments um, has really done a lot of damage as far as identifying what the goal is of the Judeo-Christian walk, Judeo-Christian journey. So anyway, last week uh, we opened up with the idea that we talked about John fourteen six, and it was Jesus himself who uh, pretty much was pretty clear, very clear, I would say, when he says, um, I am the way. This is now Jesus saying and speaking in John fourteen six, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I told you what happened when I in the jails would, because uh, I was a chaplain for 10 years in the local jail system under the San Diego County uh, Sheriff Department. And um, I would substitute the word, no one gets to the Father but through me, with the word heaven to see if I could basically point out to them that we, whether you were Catholic, whether you were Protestant, growing up we were taught that it's all about heaven. It's all about getting to a place called heaven and um, and I'm not anti-heaven. Sometimes people say, why are you against heaven? Listen, heaven's awesome. When I die, I want to go to heaven, okay? That's on the record. But heaven isn't the goal of the Judeo-Christian walk. It never has been. It's not mentioned a singular time. It's not mentioned once as being the goal as to why Jesus was sent by the Father to come back to earth, to come to earth. Well, and then later, of course, was his second coming, uh, coming, returning to earth. What's the point? What's the goal? So what we're trying to do here is clarify and to bring clarity to what the Scripture teaches. And not just in a few isolated verses. It's all over the place. But we never have been taught how to connect the dots. So I want to pick up where we left off last week, where we pretty much left um, off with the John fourteen six uh, referral, where uh, it make, Jesus makes it pretty clear um, the goal is the Father, because he says no one comes to the Father except through me, because he said he was the way, he being Jesus. He was the truth, again, being Jesus, and he was the life again, being Jesus. Eternal life is not dying and being transported to another place and existing in that other place. That's not eternal life. Eternal life um, is defined in John seventeen three, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That's eternal life. That's a relational description. That's a relational definition, as contrasted with a relocational explanation. It has nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with personal relationship. Okay. So let's pick it up uh, where we left off. Um, we're talking about this, the forward to this book, and it's called The Era of Av, Av being the Jewish word for father, um, The Era of Father God. And I wanted to bring you some additional verses that show you it's not just 14.6, John 14.6 that says the Father is what it's all about, is why Jesus came, to reacquaint us, to reestablish our relationship with the Father, because that's what we lost in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve were separated from their Father, their Creator Father. When you're separated from God, um, by definition, 
you'd have no eternal life. Now think about that. John 17, 3 defines eternal life. It says it's knowing, not knowing about in your mind, but knowing in your heart, relationally, having an um, experience, continual, ongoing experience, a relationship with your Father. So, let's look at some other verses. Uh, Another one in the New Testament, uh, 1 Peter 3.18. This is out of the complete Jewish Bible, CJB. For the Messiah himself died for sins once and for all, a righteous person on behalf of unrighteous people. Now here's the point. So that he might bring you, it doesn't say to heaven. Where am I reading? 1 Peter 3, verse 18. So that he might bring you to God. Looking at the New King James, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I don't know how much more clear it can be. It doesn't say anything about going to a location. Let's do another verse. Uh, this one's from Paul, where he writes in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. Let's take a look at that. This is out of the New King James. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us, listen, to himself, (laughs) not to heaven, through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what's reconciliation? It's not buying a ticket and getting on a a rocket ship or a jet airplane and going someplace. Reconciliation is to repair a ruptured relationship with whom you had a relationship earlier. Okay, let's go to verse 19. That is, God was in Christ Reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have the gospel saying the goal is the father. We have Peter in his uh, epistle of 1 Peter chapter 3.18 saying the goal is the father. We have now Paul writing in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. I'm going to read this from the complete Jewish Bible, um, the same verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. And it is all from God, who through the Messiah has reconciled us to himself and has given us the work of that reconciliation, which is that God in the Messiah was reconciling mankind, here it is, to himself. Okay, let's look at another um, reference here. Let's take a look at the last book of the Bible. That's the Apostle John writing in Revelation chapter 5, looking at verse 9. And I'm going to read this out of the New King James. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for seals being S-E-A-L-S, for you were slain. Okay, and that's obviously referring to um, Jesus. Now notice the next line. And have redeemed us to God by your blood. It doesn't say, and have redeemed us to heaven by your blood. It says, you were slain, basically redeeming us to God by your blood. I'll go on. It's that same verse. Out of every tribe 
and tongue and people and nation. We're going to go to verse 10 here. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. So not only do we have the purpose of why Jesus was slain, to reconcile us relationally back to Father God, but it also talks about our destiny of what our roles are going to be. All this earthly journey for is training to do those roles. But notice in verse 10, so we're being made kings and we're being made priests to our God. Notice, it doesn't say so we can reign in heaven doesn't say that in verse 10 of Revelation 5. It says, and we shall reign on the earth. It's a, the Bible taken in its total context, the gospel of the kingdom is a circular experience. It's about what the Jews say, teshuvah, which is the return. Jesus came to return us back to our Father God, who we lost in Genesis chapter 3. And in the process, we're also going to get back our inheritance as family members of being children of this Father God. It doesn't say we're going to reign in heaven. I was taught as a Catholic kid growing up, we were going to reign in heaven. I didn't didn't say what or where exactly. I mean, as far as, you know, micro locations, it didn't ever explain what we're going to be doing. But the Bible says we're going to come back as kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Our inheritance of earth, the material creation, was stolen away from us in Genesis chapter 3. And we as the church need to get much more indignant about that. The material creation was made for mankind. That was our initial assignment in Genesis chapter 1. It was to have dominion and be sovereign over the earth over all of the beasts and the, of the fields, and, you know, the list goes on, all the, over all the plants and the fish, and, the, you know, the, it goes on and on and all the list. We were made for the material creation, and we were given virtual plenary authority over that same creation here on earth. And we really have to understand that this material creation was not made to be governed by the angelic world, especially the fallen angelic world. The material creation is for us. Why? Because that's Father God's plan. By the way, we came from the earth. Think about it. How were we made? God takes a hunk of earth, breathes life into it, and Adam is created in his image and in his likeness. Now, we have to wrap our arms around that. What does it mean to be in God's image? What does it look like to be or have possession of God's likeness in us? We're way too cavalier on how we treat that reality that's explained in the first chapter of Genesis. We've got to go back to the beginning in order to understand the plan for the end. The plan for the end is returning. That's what John the Baptist was preaching. That's what Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, was preaching. It was about restoring a government. Isaiah chapter 9. 
and he will return with the government on his shoulders. Returning is circular. And if you were to design or ask someone ask you, how would you draw uh, a return experience? Well, you wouldn't draw a straight line. A straight line ends at a different location than does a circle. If you drew a circle, you literally come back to the point of beginning, of origin. You come back to the same place. I had some inmates who would listen to my uh, instruction in the, in the jails during that 10-year period, and they figured it out. They said, Chaplain, what you're preaching is that the last chapters of Revelation look like the first two chapters of Genesis. They say, you're bringing us back full circle. It's a circular story. And I said, you guys are getting it now. They put that together. That was, what, that was through the Holy Spirit. That was a revelation of saying, hey, this is a circular story. That's why the name of the book, it's called Homecoming. Okay? It's called Homecoming. You're coming home, just like the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. Back to your father. Back to your inheritance. We'll see you after the break. God bless. Welcome back, Saints from San Diego, or of San Diego. We are studying um, this new book series that we have begun, Homecoming. Um, I wrote this, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think. I started it in 2017, finally got it done in 2022. And um, it deals with looking at what is the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, which is sometimes very different than what got the gospel that we hear uh, preached commonly in our churches. I'm not saying every church, but commonly. And we left off with the notion that if the gospel is a circular story, as the Hebrews believe, uh, by the way, they wrote the Bible. Um, they have, let's see, 66 books of the Bible and... 40 authors of those 66 books, and at least 39 of the authors of the 66 books of the Bible were all Hebrew. They were all Jewish. It's an interesting concept that um, context when you read a book is everything because you have to learn who were these people that wrote this, what um, what were they inspired by? Where did they live? How did they grow up? What was their language? What was the, is the language itself um, descriptive of things? For example, in the Hebrew alphabet, every letter is assigned a number to it. And so it's, it's a unique language, to say the least. The culture is unique, to say the least. But I just want to give you maybe an analogy that if you wanted to Let's say you wanted to learn about how um, Japanese literature um, developed. And so you took six weeks off for summer, and you, you're going to go do a sabbatical, um, summer sabbatical over in Tokyo. And you wanted to learn about Japanese culture, Japanese language, Japanese cuisine, Japanese thought process, Japanese culture, Japanese everything. Okay? And you sign up pay your money, fly over to Tokyo, and uh, you're ready to get underway. And, and of course, one of your classes that you're going to be taking is uh, language class uh, because you've got to learn you know, the language in order to understand uh, what, you're, what you're studying. And let's picture the first day of your language class, the, uh, the language instructor shows up, and he starts handing out the textbook of what's going to be used in the language class to how to learn how to speak Japanese. And the, the instructor, as he's handing you out the book, um, gives you a Russian dictionary. 
a Russian dictionary, and you're there to learn how to speak, read, and write Japanese, an Asian language. Um, you probably raise your hand in the, as a, one of the students in the class to ask a question. You probably have an inquiry to say, uh, excuse me, either Mr. Professor, I'm in the wrong class, or maybe you are. Because how am I going to learn this language in the context of why I'm here? I'm not just here to learn the language. I'm here to learn the culture. Everything about Japanese society, its history, its literature, everything. Um, And I have a tool that you've given me that is not useful because... I didn't fly to St. Petersburg or to Moscow to learn Russian. I flew to Tokyo to learn all things Japanese, including their language. I think you've given me the wrong tool. And that's pretty much what we Gentiles have done when we disconnected from an understanding that Father God in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and uh, Genesis 17 and Genesis uh, 22 and 24 and 27 has all these encounters with this group of people by which he wants to say, look, I need a prototype. I need an example of what a relationship with your creator God looks like feels like, sounds like, and I want to use this as an example or a sample. Um, You know, when they build cars, oftentimes, uh, before it ever comes on the manufacturing floor, you see a prototype, and then they go off to these uh, different shows in Las Vegas or wherever, and at the car uh, shows, and they say, here's the prototype. Here's the first um, thing that the engineers put together and has all the bells and whistles. We haven't mass manufactured it yet, but this is what we want to come up with on a massive scale. Well, um, when you have Father God selecting patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and making covenants with them regarding that in their lineage will come someone who is and will be the Messiah, the deliverer of this earth that has fallen into the clutches, into the claws, if you will, of these fallen angels who duped mankind right out of his purpose to rule and reign over the earth and right out of his authority to basically have dominion over earth. It was a con job. And so in the process of Father God restoring what he did, because he never, ever, that I can see in Scripture, changed his mind about an opinion that he offered in Genesis 1.31, he's resting. He's looking over everything he created the first six days. And then he offers an opinion about that. He said, when he saw all that he had created, including the earth, including mankind, he said it wasn't just good. He said it was very good. Well, that's radically different um, when, when we have opinions like Gnosticism and, and uh, fallen angels, you know, basically running this place that says, no, earth is someplace that we should basically say it's a lost cause. Let's write it off. Let's just get out of here. Let's have the great escape. Let's, buy, let's just get a ticket to ride. 
whether it's a rocket ship or a jet plane, whatever. I just want to leave this place because it's a fallen earth. Well, Father God didn't take that approach. He said, I'm going to have a restoration plan. It's called the restitution of all things in the book of Acts. And so he never gave up on his original opinion. Father God never changed his mind of his original opinion about what he created, including mankind and our role and our purpose, which was to govern and have dominion over the earth. He never said that was a dumb idea. Let's go back to the drawing board and start over. What he did was he said, I am going to make covenants through this culture called the Hebrew culture. And these covenants, by the way, are not just for the Jewish people. They're not just for the Hebrew people. There's only two kinds of people, two groups that are mentioned in the entire book of the scriptures. And those two groups are either, number one, Jews or Hebrews, and number two, everybody else. And everyone else are called the people of the nations. Or in other words, the Hebrew word is goyim, which means Gentiles. So that's it. It's two groups of people. And the prototype that God was going to use to restore the very good opinion (laughs) was to have a Messiah show up not as a spirit being exclusively, but to come back as someone who was both very God of very God by being the son of God, but also very man of very man. Why is that important? Don't forget the original idea of who was supposed to have dominion and rule earth. It wasn't spirits or the angelic world, whether they were loyal angels or the fallen angels. It certainly wasn't the adversary, Satan. And the Messiah had to have both intricate components. And the fact that it's interesting that most of the, in most of the miracles, Jesus oftentimes refers himself more often in the scripture, way more often as son of man than he does as son of God. And why is that? I think it's messaging to the fallen angels to say, Father God saying, you know, I didn't make any mistakes in my original blueprint. I didn't. I knew what I was doing. And I know that I'm going to use a prototype group of people with which I'm going to have a special, unique relationship. I'm going to give them their inheritance back, at least part of it. And it's, it's an interesting that these covenants are attached to part of earth. It's land. These covenants are attached to the land. Why? Because it's the restoration, not just of relationship with um, the father you lost, but also to get back your inheritance. You're a member of a family. You know, what's interesting, what's described in um, Ephesians chapter 2 when he talks about this mystery of one new man when Jew and Gentile are coming together to worship the same mutual father because they all came from the same source. Um, and it, Paul calls it a mystery in Ephesians chapter 2. And one of the components about the mystery is, is how is this all going to work? And 
he described, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, describes Gentiles as aliens. We were, we were, we were separated from God. But as we come in and we become born again, we, we Gentiles are coming into the Hebrew experience of family reconciliation. And not just family in Ephesians chapter 2. It talks about, it talks also about your citizenship. So we have one unit of restoration called the family unit. And we have another unit of restoration called the more corporate, larger nation reconciliation. So listen to how he phrases it. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to basic. well, I guess I will. You know what? I'm going to turn to it. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. In Ephesians chapter 2. Check this language out. This is 2.11, and we'll take it down towards the end. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Okay, this is verse 12. Check this out. That at that time, in other words, in the past, you were without Christ. You were without Messiah. Being aliens, that doesn't mean aliens like from outer space. It means foreigners. Listen to the foreigners from what? Check this wording out. From the commonwealth of Israel. Okay. Well, where have you seen the word commonwealth before? Well, there was the thing, we've seen it in political history, the commonwealth of England, the commonwealth of of the um, British Empire. Okay, there were member nations to that commonwealth. They had special privileges, special rights, special passports, special visas. They could come and go by being part of the commonwealth of England, the commonwealth of the British Empire. But listen to how why this language is amazing. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Well, Many times we teach that those covenants were only made with the Jews and had nothing to do with Gentiles. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a retired attorney, I'm a retired judge, and I can tell you that when I've studied these covenants, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up now is because we're going to go way into depth of this later on in this book series. But just to mention very briefly, when you become born again, you become a member of the household of God. Where does it say that? I think right here in the same area. Let's see here. Yeah, let's just keep reading. I'll come back to the uh, citizenship in the commonwealth here. But now in Christ Jesus, talking about us Gentiles now, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one, what does that mean? Both groups, one, both Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them, both groups, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace who were, to those who were far off and to those who were near. We were the ones who were far off. For through him we both have access. This is, I love this verse because it has three prepositions. For through him, referring to Yeshua, to Jesus, We both have access by one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. But notice how it ends, the third preposition. To the Father. There it is again. The goal is the Father. The goal is getting back to the Father. So look at verse 19. Now you, speaking to uh, Gentiles, therefore you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're, listen to this language, 
but you are fellow citizens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Okay? Two things. You are members of the household of God. You're part of the family because you're sons and daughters of the most high God when you become born again. And, get this, you're also now fellow citizens with the saints. Now, when you talk about citizens, in verse 12, what we read earlier, it called the Gentiles aliens or foreigners from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers from the covenants of promise. We're no longer aliens. We're citizens in something called the commonwealth of Israel. Now, I'm not talking about the nation Israel. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We're talking about the concept of Israel being Jesus himself. You see that in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, with we being as Gentiles grafted as wild olive branches onto the trunk or the tree or the root, if you will, okay, of Israel. We're becoming part and parcel of a family and of a nation. A larger corporate experience. So it's twofold. It's actually threefold. It's individually, you now know God on a different level. You're now a member of a small, a next group up is a group, is a family, because we're members of the household of God in verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, but you're also now fellow citizens, okay, of the commonwealth of Israel. What's that built on? Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Those are all Jewish apostles and Jewish apostles with maybe one exception of Luke, maybe. Again, that's that's debatable. That debate still continues on uh, whether uh, Luke was... um, a Gentile or Jewish. But even then, even if he were one Gentile, the other 39 authors of the book were all Hebrew. But Jesus himself himself is, is the chief cornerstone of this building that God is putting together with these two groups coming together as they come into this born again experience into whom the whole building's being fitted together. It grows into a holy temple of the Lord the Godhead wants to indwell us. I don't know if you're ready for that, but that's a seatbelt buckling. You know, put on your seatbelt. God doesn't want to just be next to us or near us. He wants to actually come inside. That's very, very deep, very intimate, very profound. And then the last verse in um, Ephesians chapter 2, it says, in whom you're also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, and that's a capital S. You're becoming made a dwelling place. So that's a lot to wrap our minds around. But going back to what the goal is. Well, by the way, I did want to finish this last thought. Um, Those covenants were all made for this group of people in the nations so that the Hebrew nation could become the light to the world of what having a relationship with God looks like, sounds like, and is. So I want to put the, I want to wrap up with this. In the Lord's Prayer, we only taught one prayer by Jesus. And the Father gives us, Father God gives us three things that no one else does. Look for this as you say the prayer. Father God gives us our identity. You may want to write these down. Identity. Father God gives us our provision. And Father God also gives us, as our Father, protection. See if you can find those three elements as you say the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to give you the first one before we sign off today. When Jesus taught this prayer, he was on earth. And he was answering a question, how do we pray? And notice what I think of the 
um, two most amazing words in the Bible, our Father. And actually, singularly, I think the most amazing word in the Bible is the word our. If Jesus is teaching us how to pray this prayer, and he's on earth when he's doing this, and then he comes up to you and he says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Here's, here's the first two words, our Father. And he looks at you and says, our what does that make Jesus to you in a family sense as he's teaching you this prayer entitled the Lord's Prayer, or as the Catholics would call it, the Our Father? Jesus, you'd have to answer, is not my father in a family sense in this context. He's not. He's saying he's my father also. He's my father too. And this is how we pray to him. This is how we engage him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Notice it didn't say your kingdom go. It doesn't say we're going to fly away. And, and his kingdom is coming back to the earth. That's why it says your kingdom come. He is on earth when he is teaching us this prayer. And so are we. He says this is how we should pray by petitioning to the Father and said, bring your kingdom. Command it in the coming. And the second one is your will be done. That's how we know that the Father's domain, the King's domain, where he is king, is in operation. Go through the rest of the prayer and look where the other two elements of what Father God gives us happen to be. So I've told you the first one. Our identity is being described to us by Jesus, by Yeshua saying, our Father. Our identity is sons and daughters of the Most High God. Look for the provision and look for the protection part in the balance of the prayer. That's where we'll pick it up next week. In the meantime, I hope you have a myriad of simple truth moments during the balance of your week. God bless you. See you next time. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's simple truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.